This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bleak House by Charles Dickens. Chapter 66. Down in Lincolnshire. There is a hush upon Chesney Wold in these altered days, as there is upon a portion of the family history. The story goes that Sir Lester paid some who could have spoken out to hold their peace, but it is a lame story, feebly whispering and creeping about, and any brighter spark of life it shows soon dies away. It is known for certain that the handsome Lady Dedlock lies in the mausoleum in the park, where the trees arch darkly overhead, and the owl is heard at night making the woods ring. But whence she was brought home, to be laid am among the echoes of that solitary place, or how she died, is all mystery. Some of her old friends, principally to be found among the peachy-cheeked charmers with the skeleton throats, did once occasionally say, as they toyed in a ghastly manner with large fans, like charmers reduced to flirting with grim death after losing all their other bows, did once occasionally say, when the wold assembled together, that they wondered the ashes of the deadlocks, entombed in the mausoleum, never rose against the profanation of her company. But the dead and gone deadlocks take it very calmly, and have never been known to object. Up from among the fern in the hollow, and winding by the bridle road among the trees, comes sometimes to this lonely spot the sound of horses' hoofs. Then may be seen Sir Lester, invalided, bent, and almost blind, but of worthy presence yet, riding with a stalwart man beside him, constant to his bridle rein. When they come to a certain spot before the mausoleum door, Sir Lester's accustomed horse stops of his own accord, and Sir Lester, pulling off his hat, is still for a few moments before they ride away. War rages yet with the audacious Boythorn, though at uncertain intervals, and now hotly and now coolly, flickering like an unsteady fire. The truth is said to be that when Sir Lester came down to Lincolnshire for good, Mr. Boythorn showed a manifest desire to abandon his right of way, and do whatever Sir Lester would, which Sir Lester, conceiving to be a condescension to his illness or misfortune, took in such high dudgeon, and was so magnificently aggrieved by, that Mr. Boythorn found himself under the necessity of committing a flagrant trespass to restore his neighbour to himself. Similarly, Mr. Boythorn continues to post tremendous placards on the disputed thoroughfare, and, with his bird upon his head, to hold forth vehemently against Sir Lester in the sanctuary of his own home. Similarly, also, he defies him as of old in the little church, by testifying a bland unconsciousness of his existence. 
but it is whispered that when he is most ferocious towards his old foe he is really most considerate and that sir leicester in the dignity of being implacable little supposes how much he is humoured as little does he think how near together he and his antagonist have suffered in the fortunes of two sisters and his antagonist who knows it now is not the man to tell him so the quarrel goes on to the satisfaction of both in one of the lodges of the park that lodge within sight of the house where once upon a time when the waters were out down in lincolnshire my lady used to see the keeper's child the stalwart man the trooper formerly is housed some relics of his old calling hang upon the walls and these it is the chosen recreation of a little lame man about the stable-yard to keep gleaming bright a busy little man he always is in the polishing at harness-house doors of stirrup-irons bits curb-chains harness-bosses anything in the way of a stable-yard that will take a polish leading a life of friction a shaggy little damaged man withal not unlike an old dog of some mongrel breed who has been considerably knocked about he answers to the name of phil a goodly sight it is to see the grand old housekeeper harder of hearing now going to church on the arm of her son and to observe which few do for the house is scant of company in these times the relations of both towards sir leicester and his towards them they have visitors in the high summer weather when a grey cloak and umbrella unknown to chesney wold at other periods are seen among the leaves when two young ladies are occasionally found gambling in sequestered saw-pits and such nooks of the park and when the smoke of two pipes wreathes away into the fragrant evening air from the trooper's door then is a fife heard trolling within the lodge on the inspiring topic of the british grenadiers and as evening closes in a gruff inflexible voice is heard to say while two men pace together up and down but i never own to it before the old girl discipline must be maintained the greater part of the house is shut up and it is a show-house no longer yet sir leicester holds his shrunken state in the long drawing-room for all that and reposes in his old place before my lady's picture closed in by night with broad screens and illumined only in that part the light of the drawing-room seems gradually contracting and dwindling until it shall be no more a little more in truth and it will be all extinguished for sir leicester and the damp door in the mausoleum which shuts so tight and looks so obdurate will have opened and relieved him volumnia growing with the flight of time pinker as to the red in her face and yellower as to the white reads to sir leicester in the long evenings and is driven to various artifices to conceal her yawns 
of which the chief and most efficacious is the insertion of the pearl necklace between her rosy lips long-winded treatises on the buffy and boodle question showing how buffy is immaculate and booty villainous and how the country is lost by being all boodle and no buffy or saved by being all buffy and no boodle it must be one of the two and cannot be anything else are the staple of her reading sir leicester is not particular what it is and does not appear to follow it very closely further than that he always comes broad awake the moment volumnia ventures to leave off and sonorously repeating her last words begs with some displeasure to know if she finds herself fatigued however volumnia in the course of her bird-like hopping about and pecking at papers has alighted on a memorandum concerning herself in the event of anything happening to her kinsman which is handsome compensation for an extensive course of reading and holds even the dragon boredom at bay the cousins generally are rather shy of chesney wold in its dullness but take to it a little in the shooting season when guns are heard in the plantations and a few scattered beaters and keepers wait at the old places of appointment for low-spirited twos and threes of cousins the debilitated cousin more debilitated by the dreariness of the place gets into a fearful state of depression groaning under penitential sofa pillows in his gunless hours and protesting that such fernal old jails not to so fleur up forever the only great occasion for volumnia in this changed aspect of the place is lincolnshire as those occasions rare and widely separated when something is to be done for the country or the country in the way of gracing a public ball then indeed does the tuckered sylph come out in fairy form and proceed with joy under cousinly escort to the exhausted old assembly room fourteen heavy miles off which during three hundred and sixty-four days and nights of every ordinary year is a kind of antipodean lumber-room full of old chairs and tables upside down then indeed does she captivate all hearts by her condescension by her girlish vivacity and by her skipping about as in the days when the hideous old general with the mouth too full of teeth had not cut one of them at two guineas each then does she twirl and twine a pastoral nymph of good family through the maze of the dance then do the swains appear with tea with lemonade with sandwiches with homage then she is kind and cruel stately and unassuming various beautifully wilful then is there a singular kind of parallel between her and the little glass chandeliers of another age embellishing that assembly room which with their meagre stems their spare little drops their disappointing knobs where no drops are their bare little stalks from which knobs and drops have both departed and their little feeble prismatic twinkling all seem volumnias for the rest 
lincolnshire life to volumnia is a vast blank of overgrown house looking out upon trees sighing wringing their hands bowing their heads and casting their tears upon the window-panes in monotonous depressions a labyrinth of grandeur less the property of an old family of human beings and their ghostly likenesses than of an old family of echoings and thunderings which start out of their hundred graves at every sound and go resounding through the building a waste of unused passages and staircases in which to drop a comb upon a bedroom floor at night is to send a stealthy footfall on an errand through the house a place where few people care to go about alone where a maid screams if an ash drops from the fire takes to crying at all times and seasons becomes the victim of a low disorder of the spirits and gives warning and departs thus chesney wold with so much of itself abandoned to darkness and vacancy with so little change under the summer shining or the wintry lowering so sombre and motionless always no flag flying now by day no rows of lights sparkling by night with no family to come and go no visitors to be the souls of pale cold shapes of rooms no stir of life about it passion and pride even to the stranger's eye have died away from the place in lincolnshire and yielded it to dull repose. End of chapter 66